Welcome to this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I have coming on now one of my most requested guests, and this is Christy Knickerbocker. And if you are anybody who travels in the voice circles or is getting into working with voice work, you will know Christy and her website, atemplevoicecenter.com. She is the place I go to if I need to find any voice materials supplementing my voice work in my outpatient clinic. So welcome to Christy Knickerbocker. She's a speech language pathologist and singing voice specialist in Fort Worth, Texas. She rehabilitates voice and swallowing at her own private practice, A Temple Voice Center, and she lectures on voice science nationally. So I'm excited she's here today. She is part of the Professional Development Committee for ASHA Special Interest Group 3, Voice and Upper Airway Disorders, and is a member of the National Association of Teachers in Singing and the Pan-American Vocology Association. Christy Knickerbocker blogs on her website at atemplevoicecenter.com, and she has developed a line of voice therapy videos, handouts, and materials on TPT and on her website. So follow her on Instagram, and like her on Facebook because I sure do. And I've purchased quite a few of her materials. I am excited she is here. Hello and welcome to the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today's episode is part of the SLP Spotlight series where I talk with SLPs in a variety of SLP positions and settings doing things that we knew SLPs did, but also working in areas that we've never thought or heard of SLPs working in. It is amazing the opportunities these SLPs have taken and where their careers have gone. This is story First question I'm going to be asking you is just your SLP story of origin. I know your background. You share the background with a lot of graduate students who come to me for um, coming into our voice program. Yeah. So I started out not as a speech pathology major. I sing, and I have always been musical, played instruments, taken lessons, and really enjoyed just being on stage. And what I ended up doing was getting a scholarship to college to sing. And I had done an audition tape and sent it off and gotten accepted. And that spring of my senior year of high school, I started having vocal problems. And it was just on a couple pitches. I couldn't stay. It's like I could do the motor movement. It was there. My brain was like, you're doing what you should be doing, but the wrong sound was coming out, which was baffling to me. And I was just thinking it would go away, right? Um, so I sang in a competition. And as I was practicing, I figured out that if I pushed my throat to the side... I could maintain the pitches I needed to to get the song sung. So, of course, I'm going to competition, and I'm standing up there, and I'm just <laughs> pushing my larynx to the side. And uh, the judge lady, she's like, what are you doing with your throat up there? And I'm like, well, I can't sing correctly if I don't push here. And she said, do that for me. Can you sing? I was, you know, mortified. My teacher's in there. Um, and so I do, and the woman says, you really need to go see an ENT, which I was dreading. But because she said that... Um, I went and ended up, uh, they found a cyst on one side of my, uh, voice box. So on, on my left vocal cord and I had surgery to remove it since cysts do not go away. And I mean, the doctor was really realistic with me. He said, if you don't want to keep singing and you're not so worried about that as a vocation, you don't have to have the surgery. But if you're going to, if you, any 
any inkling in your brain is like, I want to be a singer, you have, this is what you'll have to do. So I had the surgery, I had voice therapy, and I was so worried at that time that my, they called it speech therapy, that my speech therapist was not going to know anything about singing. I was very fearful. Um, who is this woman? What does she know about singing? She's a speech therapist. I just kept settling on the word. Um, she was really great. And I learned a lot from her. She was very caring. Um, I couldn't have done the recovery without her. Um, and so months went by and I was able to heal and fix things um, and ended up changing majors to uh, speech language pathology after a sit down talk with my voice instructor in college. Um, and that was life changing in that, you know, you sit there and think, here's what I thought I was going to do for my entire life. And what am, what am I going to do now? So I had remembered back to that encounter where I had been afraid that she would know nothing about singing. And I said, that's what I want to do. I want to be the person that knows the language of the singer, of the musician, to be able to set their mind at ease because I remember how scared I was and I want to be that person to help heal um, in that time. Because the doctors are scary and they do care. They just move really fast. They're just doing a lot and their their brain's working over time and they just move patients through really, really quickly usually. So that's uh, that's how I got started with with speech pathology. Well, physicians don't always have the time or the the approach, I guess, for teaching and educating. As speech pathologists, voice specialists, we have those educational materials and resources to sit with the, the, the patient or the client and say, here's what's going on. Here's what we're going to do about it. Let's collaborative work together, identify some goals and get you where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody's personality is different too. So I think when you have the time you can find out how to appeal to that person and how to best communicate with them. But the doctors, again, yeah, are very pressed for time. And uh, sometimes it's hard to get the point across or um, bedside manner. You know, people's personalities are very different. Just I see so many people in a given day. It's just you're a chameleon of sorts. So... Well, thanks for sharing your story of origin. It, it gave me goosebumps knowing that you had a life obstacle and you stepped into the field. There are so many people who said, reach out to Christy. We want to hear an interview with Christy because there are people who want to do the same thing as you. This podcast comes in at the student and the brand new speech pathology level um, what words of advice, what courses would you recommend that the new speech pathologist take who wants to be a voice specialist like you? That's a really good question. Um, if you want to be scared and not know what you're doing and trying things, like that's how I started doing this. So like I never had a good plan of action ever. Um, I thought that I wanted to work in a university voice clinic. That was my goal and dream. And when things weren't lining up to do that, I was like, well, here comes the imposter, you know, trying to look like she knows what she's doing. Um, and I kind of still feel that way a lot of times. Um, so as far as what you should do if you want to specialize in a voice is first, if you're already at the graduate level, you probably can't seek an opportunity to get your master's degree in a location that has a voice specialty. So if you're listening to this at the undergraduate level, I would say 
research the different places you could go for the university setting for your graduate program, find one that has someone who dedicates their laboratory and their research findings. So they have to do research papers a certain amount every year, these professors. And if you find one that does voice, great. If you find one that does voice in an area that you like, because there's all different types of, of voice research things. So you've got, you know, Joe Stemple was doing all the vocal function exercises. Um, you've got Kitty Verlini Abbott was doing, you know, resonant voice and, um, uh, Chris Watts, who was my mentor at TCU, he was doing acoustics. And I didn't know I really liked acoustics until I started doing them. And I was finding, hey, this is really objective data in a perceptual world where all you're hearing is roughness or you're hearing breathiness, but we're putting actual numbers to it, um, which introduced me to uh, Yuri Marin, who's in Belgium. And that's kind of started to become something that I've really jumped on and really liked and started um, working with research on. So um, I didn't know ahead of time at all. So if you're already in graduate school and maybe your program doesn't have a great voice class, okay? Um, one, I'd recommend the blogs on my website because I okay. made... So my website is atempovoicecenter.com and that's A-T-E-M-P-O, Voice Center. Uh, and I create... I started actually creating the blogs to teach myself... <laughs> So back in like 2013, 2014, I wanted to know more. And so I would go on PubMed and I would download the article and I would read through it and try and talk to myself as if I were teaching someone else, write the blog and post it. And then I could help digest that information to be able to help my patients with it. So most of those blogs on there are created to help people who may not know how to read research studies very well. I didn't know. We took a research class in, in grad school and I was like, this is so hard. You know, I was like, what is even, the, I'm just, I'm, I'm me. I look at the paper and I jump to the discussion and I'm like, what, what are the findings? You know, what do I really care about here? But I can read them differently now. It just takes practice. Um, and doing it frequently and kind of forcing yourself and being like, I kind of understand this and just, you know, doing it over and over. Um, but I would say going on PubMed, you have a lot of information at your fingertips on there with a lot of these, uh, how do you say it, Elsevier articles. Um, and they're, they're full access. So looking for things that are published in the Journal of Voice, the Journal of Singing. Um, ASHA's got a bunch of periodicals that have um, interesting articles about voice specifically. Um, SIG3 the special interest group three for ASHA has their perspectives article, uh, you know, booklet that comes out. Um, and that has things that are specific to voice as well. So you have the opportunity to do a lot of self-study. Cause I think some of those perspectives have quizzes at the end for you can do for credits for CEU credits. Um, but that's what I did a lot of the time. And then when I could, I spent my own money on courses so I knew I needed hands-on video stroboscopy fees. I knew I wanted to do um, hands-on manual, you know, massage, those kinds of courses. Um, and then there were a few that were local because of my mentor, because Chris was at TCU. Um, and so I was able to see Nelson Roy in person, which was like awesome. And uh, just these opportunities to, uh, UT Southwestern is a large voice center around here too. And so they would host courses and, and have the Dingo Teats that come. It was like, ah, super oh. awesome for that too. And I was just like, 
I'm so impressed you're in the same room as me. Um, so I, I was able to, to attend those things, but I paid my way to go fly out to Emory to get um, video stroboscopy and fees, hands-on course. Um, and so I think looking for, which, you know, um, USC does a course, so like Keck Medicine does a course on stroboscopy, or they used to before COVID. Um, uh, Vanderbilt does a video stroboscopy course. Um, Blake Simpson used to do one in San Antonio, but he's um, in Alabama now. So I don't know if they're going to do something similar to what he was doing yearly there. I'm sure at some point once he can uh, grow his program um, with Edie. But I, I would say setting aside, if you're absolutely sure you want to do voice, setting aside money to attend these courses that don't come up every weekend and that you can't do online because they are hands-on um, and then doing your best to uh, continue to educate yourself in the background. I worked at a long-term acute care hospital to get my license. It was a medical setting. It was with adults. Was it with voice? Eh, Passing mirror valves, trachs. I learned a lot about trauma and ICU and suctioning and... Um, I had like two voice patients. I had two people with functional aphonia who had had trauma and they were aphonic, straw bubbles. They were perfect. And I mean, I was like, oh, happy day with those patients because um, I could, I did a little voice today, right? <clears throat> but uh, yeah, if you're, if you're serious about it, just don't give up and continue to, um, to seek out those, those either clinical fellow placements, um, which are very hard to get into. They're so coveted. There's very few. Um, and you don't necessarily, like I didn't get hired. Like I must've interviewed <laughs> so many. I, I was, I was strapped for moving too. like, I, I'm, I'm married. And so I, I wasn't able to move to a different location to go to a voice center. So like I was kind of limited with that, but I did interview at multiple places um, and just didn't get the job. And so I was like, well, if I keep getting rejected, I guess I'm just going to do it myself. So that sounds like my story. Oh yeah. It, it does. I had interviewed, I had been a long, I had been up in a medical setting for a bunch of years. My husband died. I relocated mm. down and interviewed and interviewed. Um, I was getting basic jobs, you know, long-term care and things like that. But it yeah. was what I want, the challenging, I want this, you know what I mean? And so um, I started Fresh SLP on the side, that, that need, that feed, that creativity, and this is what I'm learning, and this is my passion. Yeah. So, you know, finding your, finding your voice. Yeah. Wherever it is. That's definitely... You've got like things that get in the way and then you have to really decide, is this really what I want? Some of the people who ask to listen to you come to me through my website for coaching because they are in, they've been working some of those long-term care jobs and, and they don't like the productivity requirements and, and all the demands that are put on them. They want to be a voice specialist. This is what they want to do. They want to start their own private practice. Mm -hmm. um, and Tell us about your journey to decide to start your private practice. Okay. Yeah. So just a weird one, you know, there's no roadmap on this. Um, I was, well, I knew, I, I always knew I wanted to do private practice, like in some way. So 
in grad school, Chris had us meet, I guess there were maybe four or five of us that were interested in entrepreneurship. Right. And he like had this class he had, I think we met once. Um, he had some private practice owners that were local come in and talk to us. This lady pulled this big, huge book of taxes, like, like bookkeeping and like bumped it on the table. And I was like, (laughs) Oh my gosh, like private practices, bookkeeping. No, like, I don't want to do this, you know? So I, I get a little bit of background there. I, um, all the while I'm still continuing doing what I'm doing. I get this job at the hospital. Um, and I'm like, it's very depressing. I know this is not where I meant to be, but I'm going to do it because I need my license and it's, you know, it's, it's money. Right. Um, I am helping people. So like there was that, but I just, I dreaded going to work every day. Um, there was a job opportunity that came up in the school that was close. Um, I knew some of the people on staff. I had done my externship there and I was like, great. I'm, I'm pregnant anyway, or I'm planning. I can't remember if I was pregnant at the time. I may have already had my first kid. Um, and, and I was thinking, well, I'll just go here so I, I can be a mom. I can do summers off, holidays off. It'll be great. It won't be voice, but it'll be, it'll work with my family. Right. So I interview and I'm like, I'm going to get this job and I don't get the job. And I'm like, Ugh! so, you know, that, so I'm like so down. I'm like, I, I knew people on the interview board, like what was going on? Um, ah. and I'm like, I've just, they just must not like me or, or whatever. So, so like within that same week, I'm up, I, I'm still kind of seeing, um, transgender voice clients for like gender affirmation voice therapy at TCU, like in their clinic, just one off. Like if people contact me that, and so we do like a contract rate, I'm like, you know, TCU gets this much and I'll get this much for their clinic. Um, but just so I could keep seeing patients, right. um, which was like maybe two a year or something like that. And I'm, so I'm up there with materials, you know, getting some things and, and Chris is up there and he's like, Oh, you're here. I'm like, I'm here. And he's like, you should come help me do strobes at this ENT clinic locally. Cause I've been using this other mach- machine from school and, you know, trying to help them set up a strobe program. And I'm like, well, that sounds freaking awesome. So I'm like, okay. So I go and I'm, I'm, you know, and so he's mentoring me doing that. And then he's like, you know, I'm getting kind of busy. So if you can do more of these and maybe do the private practice you've always wanted to do, you should do that. And I was like, okay, I get what you're saying. So what I did is I was like, all right, so I knew I had to work really hard. So, so teach myself, learn from him, get a course done and then present to this ENT group why they needed me. So I'm there and I'm researching, you know, reimbursement codes and like what I could bill and then what they could get if I'm contracting with them, you know, and, and, and what does this look like and, and why your patients are going to be happy. They'll find out what's going on. The exams will be more specific. Um, and so what I did is I borrowed that strobe machine for a little while and then I took out a loan to buy one of my own and used a room in that ENT office and then just posed like I had this clinic, you know, online, you know, cause I was seeing people in this, in this room. And I did that for like four years. Um, and all the while feeling like, you know, I am making a difference in these people's lives, but I don't have this huge voice clinic, like these big fancy, um, you know, university settings with all this funding and everything that was not me at all. And so, um, that's, that's what I was able to do with that. And it, it was never anything that I like sought out and no one was doing it, Maddie. So like, I was like, am I doing the right thing? 
is mm-hmm. this approved? Like, are people going to think I'm a, an imposter? Like, are people going to think I don't know what I'm doing because I'm doing this? And so the whole time I'm thinking, how much do I really tell people about, you know, what my situation is because no one's doing it, right? So I'm scared. The language of what I hear all the time, you are spot on. These are the thoughts that, you know, reasonable, normal, emerging thoughts when you first start into this. Yeah. My husband's like, just do it. Just help the people. So I'm like, okay. Cause he's an entrepreneur too. And so I think he's a big part of what I do because if, if he wasn't saying you can do this, it's not hard. Let me get you an LLC. Let me get you set up. Let me help you with the taxes. Let me, you know, you can write this off, you know? And so it's super nice that he's got the business um, part of it. So if I were to say also, you know, your, your words of advice to your students, um, Maddie, is that if you have a chance to take a business course or two in your undergrad or in your graduate program, even if you're paying extra to do that while you have the time at the university, go ahead and get that business knowledge because that's the thing that I've learned on my own as well as marketing um, that I've taught myself. But the business side is the intimidating thing because I'm a great therapist. I'm a terrible um, business person as far as doing profits and loss spreadsheets and doing taxes, like just give it to somebody else. I, I get bogged down with it. That's not what I want to do. So, um, that's helpful because you can make decisions that actually help you make the business work because if the business doesn't work, you can't do the therapy. So operate in your genius and let others operate in their genius supporting you, whether it's the taxes, the marketing, And I would second that because if you don't have good marketing, if you don't have, if you're not up on your taxes and your quarterly estimate and you're paying those, those are what will sink you. You can have all the passion in the world, but if you don't have those other things holding up your business, you know, like, like stools or legs on a stool. Oh yeah. The the processes, they have to be working well. Yeah. Cause if not, you, I mean, with me, like if I get too stressed out, I was discussing this with my husband last night and He's like, you just, you can't work under stress. You get too stressed out. You get too many things going and you shut down. And I'm like, I know this, you know? So if you know yourself, mm-hmm. you can be the best version of you. So I think part of it is, I don't know. I mean, right place, right time. I mean, you can always say that, but I worked darn hard um, to continue to to keep going after rejection after rejection, right? So You've got that. You've got people taking a chance on you. Um, so that's that's happening. And then you have to prove it. So they take a chance and they say, okay, we're going to let you see patients in our clinic. What are you going to do? So, I mean, you just, you form the best thing you can and continue to rise above and be better than anything you think you could be. I mean, you get there early. You're there early. You stay late. Um, you don't get in the way. You collaborate when you when you can. You learn what their schedules are, so you're not interrupting anything. It's not your, pl- you know. So it's it's also about not only them taking the chance and you giving it a try, but you continually going above and beyond, even after you're like, this is probably a set deal, you know, because it definitely wasn't, you know, after a while. And then uh, I kind of went off and got my own clinic um, where I was paying rent and stuff. Uh, bigger rent, um, uh, where it was just me in the office and then getting support staff, which is what I did at that time. So it, it wasn't like I said, I'm going to make a private practice. I'm going to get a space. I'm going to hire staff. I'm going to 
get all these materials and everything. Um, it was very much slow growth, very much step by step. And responding to where your opportunities opened up. When I started, it was supporting medical speech pathologists. And I learned there's so many incredibly great spots in speech pathologists who do that already. But here's where I can go. You, you brought up a couple of times um, imposter syndrome. And I just want to, you do something very interesting with it. I hear from a lot of students that in new SLPs about imposter syndrome, and it's always in the, you know, negative, negative, negative. I can't do this. I can't do that. And you, you touched on it briefly, and then you changed your mindset on it. And you said, I may not know this now, but look at all the intentional areas I'm going to go learn and do better. So I think imposter syndrome is something that, that I think we all deal with it. There's yeah. not anybody out there who says, you know, am I doing this right? And, and am I faking it? And are they going to, you know, um, you know, because we all think other speech pathologists are maybe more perfect than us. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're coming to get me. They're going to know. They're going to find out. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, exactly. And, and it's, it's really not us against everybody else. It's us with everybody else and learning and collaborating and finding yeah. resources and networking and creating those relationships like you had with your mentor where they said, hey, come and do this with us. And you're like, I'm going to get the training and I'm going to step in and do that. Yeah. So if you, you know, students often ask me or, or you know, on questions that come in to the, the podcast, how do I overcome imposter syndrome? It's just like you just presented with us. You acknowledge where you're, um, where you don't know things mm-hmm. and you find them and you move beyond them and you be brave. Yeah. And like, I still feel it. So it's not like it goes away. <laughs> it's just, you do it long enough that you're like, well, I guess they're not, I guess they're not coming to get me. Do you My have anything better? Yeah. You have just a little more time with us today. Yeah, totally. Okay. Cause I'm going to stop this episode right here and we are going to come back for Christy Knickerbocker part two. So we'll see you on the next episode. Okay. I hope today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP. Continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the missing link for SLP's podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You got this.